if you're unfamiliar with why it's called Palm Sunday, it was because when Jesus was on the earth, his last visit to Jerusalem, people waved palm branches as he came in and they celebrated and they cheered and it was a, a joyous event. But it's called Palm Sunday because of all the palm leaves that were put on the floor as he came through and as people celebrated. So that's why we call it Palm Sunday. Now today, I'm going to ask you a specific question about Easter. Not for you to answer, it's a kind of reflective question that I want you to think over this next week as we head into our Easter weekend. And it comes out of Palm Sunday and it is this, how will you receive Jesus this Easter? It'll become more clear why I'm asking that question. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to read three passages from the Bible and I'm going to tie those together because they really uh, challenge us about how we treat Jesus as he comes to us. And our first passage is Luke 19, verse 28 to 45. And Zoe is going to come and read that to us. 44, okay. You can go there or you can come up here. It's up to you. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied, tied, to, tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and the peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognise it when, the, when God visited you. Thank you, Zoe. So we've got this first passage. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. There's lots of joy conveyed here. There's lots of happiness. People are celebrating. Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem and everyone is happy. They rejoice over the miracles that Jesus has done. They're glorifying God. And although everybody seems to be happy, there are a few people who are not happy. So we've got the Pharisees. 
the Pharisees were the religious leaders. The Pharisees were the pastors, they were the bishops, they were the vicars, uh, they were the cardinals, whatever denomination you want to go into, they were the religious leaders of the day. And, and what we need to understand, back in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were also really the political leaders in many ways. Even though Jerusalem was under Roman occupation, amongst the Israelites, the kind of MPs and councillors would have been the Pharisees, the Sadducees. These were the, the people who would have had the power um, at the time that people had to follow. And so these guys are not happy. And you see in that passage, they're telling Jesus, stop these people praising God and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they try to stop that. They are not too happy. And one of the strange parts in that passage is right at the end when Jesus essentially says that destruction is coming to Jerusalem. You'd have thought that's quite odd, wouldn't you? Here it is, everybody's celebrating, everybody's praising God, everybody is, is happy, the Pharisees aren't, but most of the people are happy, Jesus is coming, and Jesus himself says, guys, because you didn't understand my coming, destruction is coming upon Jerusalem. And it raises some question. Now, the point of this story is not the arrival of Jesus, but how people received Jesus' arrival. That's the point. The point of this story isn't that Jesus was coming. The point is, how did the people receive Jesus when he came? Many were joyful, but many also rejected Jesus. And it would be tempting to think that the only people who hated Jesus were the Pharisees, but that's not so. The people who cheered about Jesus' arrival would a very short time later be shouting something very different about him. And that brings us to our second passage, which is Luke 23, 18 to 23. I'm going to ask Florence if she'll come and read that to us. Thank you, Florence. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him, and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, it could be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sent Jesus to die, as they demanded. And as they requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them as they wished. Thank you, Florence. So we've got two responses to Jesus here. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, everybody's really happy about it, and then a few days, and this is literally a few days later, Jesus has been arrested by the Pharisees, and then he's put on trial, and this same crowd are shouting, crucify him! What a different response. You know, followers of Jesus can be very fickle. 
you know, cheering Jesus when all is going well and cursing Jesus when difficulties arise. These two stories are about us. We are the crowd. We love it when Jesus does miracles. We love it when he feeds us out of a miracle, when he heals us. But we're not so happy when our lot is one of hardship or suffering. We like his words of love. We love his words of compassion. But we're not so keen when he says things like, you need to repent. You need to obey. And I wonder this Easter how you will receive Jesus. Is it going to be with shouts of joy or will it be with shouts of anger at your misfortune and hard words? You know, it's a challenge. In one moment the people were cheering and in another moment they were jeering. They were deriding who he was. I wonder why that's why Jesus was never about the crowd. Now, to bring these two stories together, I want to read to you one of the parables also found in Luke. This is chapter 20, verse 9 to 19. And it's a summary of these two stories. It fits together these two stories that we find about Jesus. And it says this. Now, Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up and sent him back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant, but they also insulted him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do? the owner asked himself. I know. I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmer saw his son, they said to each other, here comes the heir to his estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them, Jesus asked. I'll tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen, his listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, Then what does this scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of the religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. This parable gives us a perspective that we need on these two stories. You see, Jesus isn't just some random guy who wandered into Jerusalem and said, hey, let's gain some followers. 
Jesus was commissioned to come onto this earth by somebody else. Who was he commissioned by? Well, in this parable, the one who planted the vineyard. Who's the one who planted the vineyard? Well, on earth, Jesus represents the God who created the earth. This earth is that vineyard, and God created it, and Jesus is his representative. Not just that, Jesus is his cherished son. So Jesus represents creator God. And in so doing, he also highlights something that humans don't like. The earth does not belong to us. You know, I wish we'd understand that. The earth is not ours. We are stewards on this planet, but it belongs to God. Everything that we think we possess does not belong to us. You know what? You take nothing with you. Not even the clothes you're wearing go with you when you die. And yet, isn't it a great tragedy that most of people's lives are given up to gaining possessions? You know, the house that we live in was built in 1945. And yet those who built it, they don't own it any longer. I wonder how many successive owners it's gone through and yet people sweated and toiled to own something that ultimately will go to somebody else. And here is Jesus, he comes and in this parable he says, I am sent and I am representing the one who does own it all. In Jesus' parable, the tenants of the vineyard believed it belonged to them. They want it for themselves. And let me tell you, our world is not much different. Humanity believes that the world belongs to them and they treat it as such. Anytime the creator sends one of his representatives, they kill him, as they did with Jesus. Or they try to gag them and stop them speaking. It amazes me, you know, that the Bible and what the Bible teaches has been around for many thousands of years. And within every generation, there are people who try to outlaw the Bible. You know, there are places on this planet where if you bring a Bible, you go to prison because they do not want to hear what the Creator has to say. They are the tenants of the vineyard and they try to kill anybody that says to them, it's not yours. Humanity does not want to be beholden to a Creator. The tenants of the vineyard did not want to pay their due to the owner. I mean, in the end, it didn't matter what the tenants believed. The reality was they did not own it. And in the end, the owner comes and destroys those wicked tenants. What a tragedy. The parable that explains Jesus' words upon his arrival in Jerusalem begins to make sense. Jesus said, you know, this was read by Zoe earlier. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, Jesus began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. 
Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and enclose you in from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. You know, that happened in AD 70. In AD 70, Jerusalem was attacked by the Roman Empire and not one stone was left on another. This is some 30... Actually, no, this is some uh, 60 years after Jesus had made this prophecy. It occurred and, and it happened there. The two stories and the parable bring us to what could be an uncomfortable truth. We don't own what we think we own. We did not create it and it does not belong to us. And the creator who did make it, he has set a day when he will return and we will give an account for how, not just how we've stewarded it, but how we've dealt with the people that he sent to tell us how to live. Jesus' question this morning is about how are you going to receive him? You see, in the world, very often, people don't want to know. I don't know how many of you read um, about what's going on in our political sphere, but at the moment there's a very big battle going on on what they call conversion therapy banning. And conversion therapy banning is all about making it illegal to talk anybody out of any form of sexual dysphoria that they might have. Now what's interesting here is that if you do that, you face a fine, you face going into jail, and it's such a loose law, they've not kind of fixed it down, that it means that if somebody comes to me and says, hey Simon, I have these tendencies sexually that I don't want, and I counsel them and they don't like it, I can go to prison. What's all that about? I tell you what it's about. It's about the tenants in the vineyard saying, we do not want the creator's rules here. Why is it a problem? Why is it a problem for people uh, to live how they want and to express their sexuality how they want? Why is it a problem? I'll tell you why it's a problem, because it will not lead to a peaceful life. It will not lead you into being um, at one with God and with yourself. I've noticed something, you know, as I grow older, as I've seen a lot of the world, that people are never made happy by possessions. Jesus said, life is not determined by the abundance of your possessions. And in Ecclesiastes it says, those who have want more. One of the greatest tragedies, you might not like this, one of the greatest tragedies that could ever befall you is to win the lottery. I've seen what it's done to human lives or to become wealthy or to become famous. Why? Because actually those things do not bring what we need as people. You see, ultimately we want somebody who loves us, somebody who accepts us for who we are, somebody who will help us through difficult times, Somebody who will give us wisdom and show us how to live with other people. Somebody who will also challenge us. You know, sometimes we don't behave like we should. And we need somebody to say, hey up Simon, the way you said that wasn't very good. You need to go back and say, I'm sorry. And the only person who can do that is Jesus.
And what we find is that those who didn't want Jesus, the Pharisees in that first story, or the tenants in the vineyard in the parable, they did not want those words in their life, and so they struck at the ones who gave them and they destroyed it. Now I'm going to ask you that question, how are you going to receive Jesus? Now you might say, yeah, I love Jesus, I want him in my life, but what if he tells you that what you're doing is not good? What if he tells you your lifestyle is not good and it needs to change? Will you then become a, a, a tenant of the vineyard or will you become a Pharisee and say, get out? We all love the good stuff. I mean, people loved Jesus when he fed the 5,000. They thought, man, this is a good deal. I don't have to go to work and Jesus provides all of my food. They loved it when he raised the dead and he healed the sick. But what if our lot is sickness? I said before, I have a belief that suffering is used by God. It is a tool in God's toolkit to create humility in our lives. And so there were two kinds of people. Those who rejoiced and said, welcome Jesus. And those who shouted, crucify him. I wonder this Easter how you will receive Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you because you love us. We thank you because you care for us. And Father, as we come through to this period of Easter, where we remember the coming of Jesus today, where we remember the suffering and crucifixion next week, uh, Father, I pray that that question would go through our minds. How will we receive Jesus? And Father, I pray that we would have open hearts and open arms in receiving Jesus. I want to thank you for your compassion and your love for us. And so, Father, we thank you. We ask that you would go before us and with us and that we would know your blessing this week. In Jesus' name, amen.